0: Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. And thank you to Hotel X, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, one of our favorite times of the year as we head into the final Grand Slam of the season as uh, we get together to preview the U.S. Open.
1: Yeah, our last Grand Slam preview episode. And and it's a big one. And uh, this tournament... Special place in my heart because it's the only Grand Slam I've ever attended live. Um, so uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit and the energy that it, it brings with it. Also on this week's episode, we got a major guest. Um, when I say our biggest guest of 2023, what I mean is I think our highest ranked guest of 2023 on Matchpoint Canada. And that's world number three, Daniel Medvedev, who we got to speak with recently at the National Bank Open
0: yeah really excited about this one. And you know we've we've had this one in the vaults for a few weeks, obviously, because we spoke to him at the National Bank Open in Toronto, but it, it feels fitting to maybe release it today as of course, his one major uh, came at the u s. Open two years ago. and uh you know we'll we'll talk about it later in the episode. but uh, such an insightful and thoughtful guy. i I really enjoyed our conversation. He was by far my favorite player that we talked to, not just, um, you know, individually
1: for the podcast, but even just in all of his press conferences, the one I found the most interesting, entertaining, uh, intellectual, analytical, like, he really took his time with people's questions. He gave everybody, like, a lot of respect in terms of the effort he put forth in those answers, went above and beyond what I think, you know, typical athletes, typical tennis players would, would do, and seemed genuinely, like, intrigued by people's questions and wanting to dive right into them so i think as like a member of the media this is like your dream person to get to talk to because you know you're going to get great stuff from them
0: yeah absolutely uh that's well said and as we kind of dig into the us open um, Mike, you mentioned it's, it's the one you've seen live, uh, where does maybe the U S open rank for you amongst the four slams? Yeah. So I'm wearing my U S open
1: t-shirt here, which our <laughs> listeners can't hear, but it's my uh, one piece of swag. That's, uh, stood the test of time since I went in 2015, which I can't believe was eight years ago. It doesn't feel that long ago to me, to be honest with you, but I went with my dad and we just went and enjoyed it. Like could have probably got a press pass at the time, but, uh, just wanted to kind of enjoy my first slam experience as a fan um because obviously you and I are huge tennis fans at heart and and we love this sport and so it'll always occupy a special place for me um even though Wimbledon I've mentioned before on this podcast is like my favorite major tournament because it hooked me as a kid and I spent countless hours on summer break watching it US Open always coincided with back to school so you know there's some memories there that as a kid not as happy as the start of summer when Wimbledon is positioned um, but I would put us open number two for me right behind Wimbledon. Like nobody can touch Wimbledon on my list of slams, but the us open is a strong number two and having enjoyed it as well. And, and being the closest one to us here in Toronto, it's probably most likely the one that I get to next again as well.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's definitely uh first on my list to attend. I, sla- I sadly have not been to a major yet. Uh, but of course with the proximity of the us open, just in New York, um, No excuse not to go, really. I have to make it happen hopefully in the next year or two. Uh, For me, US Open actually ranks as number one, and that is for, I think, the atmosphere and the electricity around the matches, and especially around the night sessions. Everybody talks about the night sessions at Arthur Ashe, but it's just absolutely electric, and I've had so many nights when I'm watching the U.S. Open and just get completely hooked and enthralled in a a match that maybe guys are taking the court or women are taking the court at 10, 11 p.m., which is probably too late, but it's just so captivating and the crowd is so engaged and enthusiastic for the tennis. And it's kind of that one Obviously, we have tennis extending past the U.S. Open uh, with more tournaments, but it feels like that one last huge hurrah of the season. It, It feels like... The fi- it I mean it's the final major of the season so it has that sort of luster about it and I, I just absolutely love it
1: funny that we've covered Grand Slam tournaments you and I virtually even though we yes. haven't been to them right Wimbledon <laughs> I know we the French Open I think we've done a couple of them Oh, we've done the US um, Open as well yeah but maybe we should make a pledge that the two of us just decide you know what, next week let's go like I could totally do the first week of the Open before my kids go back to school mm-hmm. and uh, I'd like to go back having like armed with a little bit of knowledge of how to navigate the grounds and what to see what not to see maybe like definitely I saw a couple matches on Ash when I went, Federer and Serena both played, and it was cool to say I saw those two legends on such an epic court, but the matches themselves, I mean, often in the first couple of rounds, not the most exciting on that stadium court, and you're so high up, or at least I was, and <laughs> not the greatest view from all the way at the top, but I think a grounds pass for people who've never been but want to go and are on a bit more of a budget maybe is is even better because you know it makes the National Bank open, which is our premier tournament here in canada a wonderful masters 1000 wta 1000 event um but it makes it feel small when you go to a tournament that's big and you get to see the men and the women simultaneously on all these courts the trick is figuring out okay which match do i want to see and for me it's i can't stick with one i got to bounce around and see a little bit of a whole bunch and you know the nice thing about the u.s open and the way the layout is it's easy to go court to court but you got to plan it you got to have some sort of a a plan in mind beforehand to see and maximize
0: as much tennis as you can. Yeah, no, that's uh, well said. And as we dig into the U.S. Open field here and, and start on the men's side, uh, look, it's Carlos Alcaraz, number one, Novak Djokovic, number two. And these really are the two stars of the show. I, I think after what we witnessed, of course, at Wimbledon, Alcaraz defeating Djokovic in the five-set thriller. In Cincinnati, we get, for my money, the best um, three-set match of the year between those two, three hours, 50 minutes. Djokovic avenges his loss at Wimbledon. I mean, this is the final that everybody is circling. And uh, I suppose the question is, is, is there any player who can really stop these two uh, with the level of tennis they're playing right now?
1: It seems almost inevitable right now, and especially in best of five, to think that you're going to knock off one of those two players. They made the finals at the last slam semi-finals at Roland Garros, although I think most people would agree that they, if they'd been in opposite halves of the draw, they would have met in the finals as well. Um, it, it just seems like the two of them are, are far above everyone else in that top 10 area right now. And I, I just wonder, like if it was best of three, I'd say there was a higher chance that we get something a little different, you know, maybe something more like a Toronto national bank open final between a Yannick Sinner and Alex Diminor, maybe better chance of a player like that to to get through but uh, here in Best of Five, with the way they've been playing, with so much on the line, I feel like the two of them are taking the sport to yet another level. And uh, it's it's the overwhelming favorite to to see in two weeks' time. I'd be pretty shocked, to be honest, on the men's side. Women's side, very much more up for grabs, I feel like. But on the men's side, I'd be absolutely shocked if we had anyone other than those two guys standing on the final Sunday.
0: Yeah, and if we look at Carlos Alcaraz and his half of the draw, uh, I mean, I think we all expect him to kind of escape uh, the first week, probably unscathed. Uh, you know, there are a couple dangerous players lurking there, maybe Cam Norrie's potential third-round uh, or actually fourth round match. But Yannick Sinner, uh, I mean, we saw the way he played in Toronto. We've seen the level of tennis he's capable of. He's, he has a win over Alcaraz. He pushed him to five sets at the U.S. Open last year. I mean, that's a fascinating quarterfinal if it happens. And then I, I think just talent-wise and skill set-wise, Sinner for me is one of those names that he's proven he can kind of hang with the top guns and and perhaps get a huge win.
1: Well, we saw it here in Toronto, what he's capable of doing. And, you know, he had a little bit of help on the way first round by as the top eight players get in Toronto. Had to walk over when Andy Murray had to withdraw as well, yes. so was a little bit better rested. And then we didn't see him follow it up in Cincinnati. But, you know what, I don't think you can fault him after what he went through in Toronto, you know, in terms of maintaining that level of energy, perhaps, and, and focus. There was a bit of a dip from most of the players, I think, that went deep in Toronto when they got to Cincinnati, having that Masters 1000 right afterwards. Uh, it's a shame for me that Alcaraz and Sinner would meet in the quarters, much in the same way as when I look at the women's draw that Sfiontek and Coco Goff are slated to meet in the quarterfinals. You'd love to see those just a little bit later, semifinal, or for Sfiontek and Goff, that would make an absolutely awesome final on the women's side. But uh, yeah, heck of a quarterfinal match if it happens, and seems pretty likely. I mean, I think Sinner's got a nice little section of the draw there, too. Um, Zverev, Dimitrov, uh, I mean, Andy Murray, but I don't think in a slam anymore we really consider him a contender, so it would seem likely to get those two young guns up in the quarterfinals, and I think it's pretty safe to say we're going to see those two competing for Grand Slam titles in, in the years to come.
0: Yeah, I, I would definitely think so. If we shift just uh, I mean, on the bottom half of the draw, it feels like it's more of a top-heavy men's field and bottom half, I really think Djokovic has a fantastic draw, to be honest. Not that he's going to run into players who aren't great, but a few players who are maybe not the most in form, he'll take on Alexander Muller to kick off his tournament. Uh, Laszlo Gera doesn't scare me at all. Francisco Serendolo, he has a nice game. I, can you realistically think he's he's winning a best of five match against Novak? And then a couple guys who I feel like they've just been struggling of late. I mean, Taylor Fritz, Stefano Tsitsipas are there, but they're not particularly in form right now.
1: There are a lot of guys coming in with like zero mojo. And I right. love that word mojo with the U.S. Open. It reminds me of that American Express ad campaign that Andy Roddick had years ago when they were hyping him up as the face of the tournament. And he lost in the opening round to Gilles Mueller and just killed the entire ad campaign. And then people joked with him about his mojo for years to come in press, which he never particularly enjoyed. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of these guys like C.C. Pass. Holger Runa, Casper Rude, Andre Rublev. These guys are coming in with zero momentum from this summer swing in Toronto and Cincinnati. Like, absolute negative um, mojo. So that, when I look at the bottom half, is why I agree with you that Djokovic seems to have, you know, such a good path. Even Felix Ogiali-Assim, yeah, he got a win against Berrettini, but that's like the only win he's had in the past three or four months. So things are looking good for Djokovic down there. Now, one of these guys, at least one of these guys, has to hit their stride in, in New York. I mean, it's best of five, which to me, Casper Root always seems to elevate his game in those types of matches. I mean, he's super, super fit. Um, seems made for best of five. One of those guys, if not a couple, I've got to turn things around when it matters here. You'd have to think.
0: I would think so. And also just the bottom of the half of the draw, I, I think poses a really good, good opportunity for a couple of Americans. I mean, we saw Tiafo make a semifinals run here. Last year, and we know he feeds off the New York crowd and he's in a nice section of the draw. If you want to land in a quarter, it is probably Casper Root's quarter because Roode does not have that much form right now. Also, Tommy Paul. I, I mean, we saw him play really good tennis in Toronto, got that win over Alcaraz. They played again in Cincinnati and went three sets, and he's the 14th seed and looks like he's in a softer section of the draw where Holger Runa is. And Runa went 0-2 in Toronto and Cincinnati. So I think there's a really good chance that we could see an, an American make maybe make another run, at least quarters, if not semis again, like we saw with Tiafo.
1: Yeah, I agree on the Tommy Paul one there. I think he's someone that would just absolutely thrive in these kind of conditions and has played well this summer, too. We saw some great stuff from him, clearly, here in Toronto. Fantastic tennis from him going deep in the tournament here. Um, And then, you know, we'll talk about the Canadians in a moment. We'll talk about maybe our dark horse horse picks in a moment. But let's talk about Daniil Medvedev here before we throw it to the interview and, and what we can expect from him. He's won the U.S. Open before. Could face Alex Dimenauer in a rematch of their Toronto upset uh, in the fourth round, in the round of 16 here. Uh, What what are you making for his chances and what he can do? Because he's also had a a lackluster summer.
0: Yeah, I I think he's landed in a pretty good quarter as well, the second quarter of the draw with that third seed. And I don't really see anybody troubling him the first few rounds. You have Borna Chorich there, but I I think Medvedev wouldn't have too much difficulty there. I, I feel like best of five format as well I, I know Alex Diminar played some great tennis in Toronto but I'm backing Medvedev most often in a best of five on a hard court and I, I think experience matters here uh, if you look at he's just one of five players in the field who's won a slam and no disrespect to Andy Murray and Stan Wawrinka, incredible champions but we're not viewing them as really slam contenders anymore Medvedev is on that list so for me, I, I think if he gets through that first week, not only uns, unscathed, but sort of winning comfortably, then you're building to the opportunity. Like the biggest question he's been unable to answer this season is, can he beat Carlos Alcaraz? <laughs> and he's met him on a couple big stages, and he was completely overwhelmed at Wimbledon, and of course lost earlier on the hard courts in a final. So uh, I, I think he's, you know, for me, that that number three is perfect because for me, he's the number three player in this field as well not just in the world
1: and he'd be doing us a big favor if he went on a run at the u.s open as well because he is our guest this episode and we won't uh drag this one on too much longer mm-hmm. uh always nice when you know the person you interview ends up going on a deep run and it's funny we probably would have used this audio in toronto during the tournament if he had made it deeper than he did but yeah you know we elected to save it hoping that things would click later in the summer so maybe this is the time but uh Without waiting any further, uh, have a listen to our interview with world number three, Danil Medvedev.
0: Hi, Danil. Uh, Welcome back to Toronto. Great to see you. Um, Just first question, when you do come back here, do the memories come flooding back of your big title uh, two years ago
2: and and what you accomplished later that summer winning the U.S. Open? I would honestly say no, but that's a good thing because uh, even... If I didn't win uh, another Grand Slam, I managed to to have a couple of good years where I had a lot of new other memories. And I would say that what happened two years ago, if I want to remember it, I remember everything. Like we talked with my coach a little bit today because someone asked us uh, semis, final, against who. I remember everything very well. I remember the emotions, but it's not like I came here and I was like, wow, I remember this, everything. So I think that's a good thing. I like to kind of start from the beginning all the time Uh, so uh, right now everywhere I come and um, I won it's a chance to be the first tournament where I have uh, won it two times so it's great to have this uh, chance here in Toronto a
1: couple of years ago when you won here I believe it was the first time in Toronto in many many years that the big three weren't here and now that's obviously becoming more regular with Roger retired and Rafa on the injured uh, list right now Uh, what does it feel like for you players to that being the new norm, to you guys are the one driving the tour,
2: and you guys are the one at the top of the game. I don't know how is it for others because it's same like, kind of. If you think about it, it's sad in a way because uh, we we all love to play against them. It's a big challenge to beat them. It's not easy. Uh, I mean, every time they usually go semi final, and uh, if you want to beat them, you need to to be at your best. At the same time, traveling so much, different tournaments around the world. So many players get sometimes injured, sometimes finish their careers, and uh, and stuff like this. And you're like, I'm here in Toronto. I want to win the tournament. I don't care if uh, Novak, Roger, Rafa is here, or Carlos, or Stefanos, or someone else. Uh And it's the same, yeah. If, as I say, if you think about it, it's of course we want to see them play uh, for as long as possible. But uh, when you're here, you just want to win the tournament. That's uh, all that matters. I don't know how is it for other players. So.
0: If we uh, talk a little tennis tactics, uh, just from watching your practice with Milos Raonic, our Canadian, uh, you were returning from a very, very deep position. We've seen this in the past. Um, how does that maybe give you an advantage or a read in the game when you're standing so deep in the court? And, and how does it maybe help you gain the upper hand
2: as a returner? Yeah, I think um, like like everything almost in tennis, there are advantages and disadvantages and the uh, You have to decide what's better for you and what's going to make you win the match. Because uh, uh, I remember some matches where I would feel like in general my position would not be good against the opponent I'm playing against. But then it comes to the question, if I go inside, I still have to break him. I don't care if my return is going to maybe put him in a little bit more trouble. You have to break the guy and try to, to win. And I managed uh, to win the match because I broke him like uh, one time and there was one tiebreak by still standing far. And uh, so that's a position I prefer because it gives me time to... uh, By returning that far, the the disadvantage is that I have to really run a big distance after the return, no matter where he puts his shot. But I'm used to it. I practice it a lot. But what it gives me, it gives me a lot of time actually after I hit the return. So the opponent is going to think that... Now he puts it in open space and it's a winner. But now because I have so much time to 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 run during my, when, while my ball is in the air. So I like especially on practice to maybe go even further than I would do in the match just to, to see how it is. And then also sometimes on practice I practice from closer but I do it less because I know that in the match I'm going to do it less. Speaking of
1: practice, it was really cool to see you as the number two seed practicing with the number one seed, Carlos Alcaraz, not something that we see too often at tournaments. When you're practicing with someone like that, as much as you're trying to find your hard court game as we switch to the surface, how much are you also scouting out his game and if there's any potential weaknesses in it, what can you take from those moments?
2: Tough to say because I think that, well, I I like to think that we're uh, at the top of the game, so... We kind of, for sure, play different on practice. Like, we play the same game, but we're not going to play the same in the match. Like you're holding mm, back a little bit, maybe. Yeah, it's not even holding back. It's like you're trying things. Like, as I say, maybe uh, um, uh, I'm going to be returning even further deep where I would usually be at. Or, again, if the guy is doing serve and volley, maybe I'm going to think... to change my position a little bit on practice. I would not care to do this. I would just uh, care about my return. Even if he makes Wally winner, I'm like, okay, the return was good. That's what matters. And especially, I mean, uh, hopefully we can play a lot of my matches with Carlos and we're all going to change our game because uh, I would change it till the moment I can beat him. The moment uh, I beat him, he's going to probably change it up a little bit for the next match and stuff like this. So um, I tend to think... um, it was more just to both fill our game, and it was a great practice, I think, to do it. At least for me, I felt uh, much better after it than I felt before in terms of uh, my game on the hardcore to coming back to hardcores. But I would probably think that that was, I mean, did I see anything? Maybe, but not sure that in the match uh, it's going to help me.
0: I guess the last question for me, Danil, Uh, you know, you spoke in your press conference about wanting to, of course, win Toronto because you're here. And I guess I would ask, uh, do you view yourself as a small picture guy or a big picture type player in terms of your goals? Are you often looking (laughs) ahead to the future or or very sort of, you know, day by day?
2: Both. I can be very contradictive sometimes, Um, even on the court, I think. And so... I could do both sometimes. Sometimes I could be um, here in Toronto and thinking how great it would be to win another US Open title. And sometimes you have to also say, okay, US Open is in a couple of weeks. Now I have my first round here. Mm-hmm. And that's what matters. It doesn't even matter the next round after the first round because you have to win it to be there. So it depends also, I would, I would say what I feel like is going to put me in a good mood and in a good spot for this tournament. Uh, so, for example, this grass season was kind of the first time in my career, I would say, where I haven't played well in Grand Slam for some time oh. uh, since actually the Australian Open final. Um, I haven't played well in Roland Garros, where I had some hopes after having an amazing uh, part of the season. Thiago played good. Uh, and so Herdogenbosch and Halle, I was like, I want to do well there. If I win, that's great. But all my Uh, focus is on Wimbledon I want to do well there Uh, I usually don't like to put this pressure on myself but here I was like I want to do well there I want to play well, that's my goal and so yeah it depends so here in Toronto I'm thinking more about I want to play well here not thinking about US Open but uh, my, my mind can change every day
1: Final question for you is as you're on the grounds this weekend I see so many kids coming up watching your practice looking up to you who did you look up to when you were a kid? And do you feel
2: like a role model for these kids
1: who come uh, here and look at you in that way?
2: I hope, uh, I hope if I am, that uh, they uh, remember the good things also. And not only many of them would say to me, hey, it's going to be on tennis too. And that's funny, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, I also want some good matches. <laughs> no, joking. Um, when I was uh, young, I, I don't remember going much to tennis tournaments. I think I was once in Davis Cup. Or Fed Cup. I don't even remember. Uh, It was very long ago. And probably once on the Kremlin Cup. Um, But I I was watching a lot of tennis on TV. Like a lot. I was waking up uh, when Australian Open was there. Waking up for school, I would wake up a little bit earlier to to, to catch some matches. Uh, I was watching, uh, yeah, especially Grand Slams because uh, other tournaments would not uh, at the time have uh, big coverage, I think. So Grand Slams... uh, I loved watching it, and honestly, there were many players I loved watching. So there was not one I would say wow. There were many, and they would change. Uh, I remember Tommy Haas, Andy Roddick. I mean Roger. But then when he started winning everything, I was like, okay, come on, let's try to <laughs> have <laughs> someone, give it to who someone can. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So many, many names, uh, and I loved uh, watching tennis, and I still love. Thanks
1: to for taking the time with us today. I uh, really guys. appreciate it, and best of luck in the tournament.
0: There is our conversation with the world number three, Dino Medvedev. And I like that sort of he, you know, I asked him about uh, memories coming back when you come back to a place you've won, for example, because he was returning to Toronto where he was 2021 champion. He won the U.S. Open in 2021, but he is sort of um, a present moment guy in the sense that he's not sort of all sort of encompassing oh when I won that a couple of years ago maybe that's why he has 18 or 19 different titles from different cities because he doesn't get completely wrapped up with like is that like still how does case? that happen has he still yeah, not he's not never defended champ? he's never defended anywhere um, I can't believe
1: that stat I just I can't believe I wonder who the previous record holder was like <laughs> how many single tournaments someone had won before they finally doubled up I I I have to imagine He's got the lead on this one and by a substantial sure. margin as well.
0: I, I, you know what though? I sort of view that some people might view that in a negative light of like, why can't you defend your title? I view it in a positive light as I can play great tennis at so many Anywhere. different places, um, yeah. which is a great talent in its own right. And we know he can play fantastic tennis at the U S open. Uh, he was so insightful. I think answering questions about his return position And as you said, just through the week in Toronto, he's so engaged. And he said in the past, he likes speaking to media. I I think he just loves talking about tennis.
1: I love this interview. And, uh, you know, it's tough sometimes when we're covering our home tournament in Toronto, because we get some of the top players, but we get them for a very short amount of time. Like they've got so many media obligations that opening weekend, qualifying weekend before the tournament begins. You're lucky if you get five minutes with them. And this one was a little bit longer, I think seven, eight minutes. But I feel like he gave us a lot in that short amount of time. Sometimes you can have a seven-minute interview and there's not a whole lot you dive into. And I feel like he got into some really cool stuff here. And for me, you know, it was cool hearing him analyze his practice session with Carlos Alcaraz and how in practice, yeah, they're going hard against one another, but they're also trying things that they might not do in a match. So it's not exactly indicative of what it would end up being like if they met each other in actual tournament play. And so that was interesting to me. And also, I was really interested to hear how he was kind of sad that the big three have moved along, or at least Federer has, and Nadal seems you know, to be heading in that direction as well. And I, and I heard that from a lot of players I talked to in Toronto, is like, instead of them being like, oh, it's great, they're finally gone, we can take the majors and have our moment, there was a little bit of, ah, oh, but we've lost something special in the sport. And I thought that's cool, considering they're competitors out there.
0: Yeah. And uh, look, in his pre-tournament press conference uh, ahead of the U.S. Open, he fielded a lot of questions about Djokovic and Alcaraz and their rivalry. And then uh, one reporter asked, like, are you irritated by just getting a lot of questions about those two? And he said, like, no, I'm not irritated. It's up for us players uh, to stop them. It's up for us to beat them. And he was like, hopefully I can be that guy. And if I do, then you guys will be talking about me, um, which was which was a, a strong and interesting perspective. He realizes those two have shown themselves to be the best in the world right now. And I, I think he's working on problem solving and, and seeing if he can repeat some magic from 2021.
1: Absolutely. And uh, talking about players, if we move along here, who also want to find some magic, let's talk about our Canadians. Uh, unfortunately, there aren't as many of them in the men's draw, Denis Shapovalov has taken the two months plus off that he kind of alluded to uh, needing to heal up his knee back at Wimbledon. He won't be at the U.S. Open. Uh, Vasek Pospisil fell in qualifying, so he's not playing in New York either. We've got Milos Raonic back for the first time in years. And we got Felix Yassim, who is a a top, uh, what is he seated here? He's seated 15th. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your assessment of where they landed in the
0: draw and what we can expect from these two guys? Well, um, for me, and I'll start with Milos Ranich. Very interesting. Reminds me a little bit of Toronto. Because going into that draw, we thought, wow, Milos landed in a really tough spot, has to face a top 10 player in Francis Tiafo first round. We both said, okay, that's a brutal draw, but you know what? It's a very difficult draw for Tiafo. And sure enough, Roundage defeated him in three sets. Here he gets the world number seven, Stefanos Tsitsipas in the first round. I think this is an absolutely brutal draw for Stefanos. And he's 0 2 career against Milos. They've played twice on outdoor hard courts. Milos has won both of those matchups without dropping a set. I know that you're going back a few years, but Australian Open, I remember they met in the third round there, and Raunich dismantled him 7-5-6-4-7-6 at the Australian Open the third round. And expectations were fairly high for Tsitsipas Pass going into Melbourne that year because he had beaten Federer the year before and I think, you know, made the semis. So I, I think this is the last draw that Tsitsipas wanted to see. Huge serving Canadian, and we know the missile, I, I think, will be dialed in. We saw him bomb 37 aces when he beat Tiafo in Toronto. If his body is in the right shape, I think he could pose a lot of problems for Stéphanos. Yeah, that's the, big,
1: that's the big question, Marcus. How is how's that shoulder feeling? Uh, we saw in his final match against Mackenzie McDonald in Toronto that the serve was considerably uh, slower, didn't have as much pop as it did in his cu- mm-hmm. first couple of matches. He's had some time to recover from that, you know, with Cincinnati opting to skip Cincinnati. But this is best of five, and I feel like if it was best of three, I'd give him a pretty good chance in this match at making it competitive, especially because CC Paz hasn't played well this summer, um, losing against uh, what was it, Gaël Monfils, I believe, yep. in uh, Toronto, and then against Hubert Hurkacz, a big server in uh, Cincinnati. So, but best of five, I just wonder how Milosh can can hold up if his conditioning is is really ready for that quite yet. Um, but I do put this at a much closer than first impression. And I agree that CC Pass looking at the draw is not gonna be pleased with this one either.
0: Yeah, and look, there's there's not too many weaknesses, I think, in CC Pass's game. One spot where maybe he's behind some of the top top players is return. So Milos is gonna have to be very dialed in on serve. And yeah, just I think the response, can he physically handle the best of five? Um, will be the the big question there. If we shift over to Felix you seem for a moment. I think this is a tough draw for him, honestly. Uh, Look, I'm hoping he got a little bit of momentum and confidence from beating Matteo Berrettini in Cincinnati, even if he lost the following round. Uh, But Mackenzie McDonald has had, I I think, a very solid summer himself, particularly in Toronto, actually, where we saw him get to the quarterfinals and knock off Andre Rublev uh, before he took out Milos Raonic in the round of 16. So for Felix, he's running into an in-form American and he's searching for form himself.
1: Yeah, I'm not liking this matchup. I got to be honest with you with uh, Felix's confidence levels and the ways you mentioned, that McDonald has been playing lately. I mean, he was terrific here in in Toronto, beating Milos, beating Rublev, beating Karatsev. I watched all of those matches. Those were all straight set wins for him. Beat Holger Runa, who had to withdraw from their match in the second set in, in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And just as Milos, you know, talking about how Canadians can use the crowd here in Toronto to their advantage, I mean, there's no doubt who the crowd's going to be behind. You would imagine um, in New York, they're going to go for the Americans. So, I think this one has. I don't even know if you call it an upset if McDonald wins this one. And I hate to say that, yeah, um, because otherwise Felix has a nice little draw to get to the fourth round. Which, if he did get there, he'd be facing Novak Djokovic. But um, yeah, just not feeling it, unfortunately, for Felix. And uh, you know, hopefully, he proves me wrong, and uh, and hopefully, he can get back into his groove for the fall where he's going to have an enormous amount of points to defend, as we've said before.
0: Yeah. That'll be an important stretch uh, of time before we uh, shift over to the women's side, any dark horse name you might might have your eye on to potentially make a, a bit of a run here at the U S open.
1: I mean, Alex Dimenauer, I suppose, right. Who's seated. Uh, I mean he's thirteenth 13? though now, so I don't know if that meets our criteria. If yeah, that, that can count, maybe outside the top ten. Yeah. Hubert Hubert Herkatch. catch. I mean, I've been waiting for him to to do it uh at a slam on a hardcourt slam. And he's got a nice little section too where he could face like maybe Rublev in the fourth round, where I think uh Hubert would be the the big favorite there right now. Um, I like his section of the draw. Like I've actually got him penciled into the semis, but I just I don't know. I haven't seen him do it, but I mean, he had a great run at Wimbledon a few years ago, but in hardcore slams, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, I think we've still been waiting for him to have that sort of mm-hmm. big breakthrough. So, I mean, I guess I go with either of those two. I don't have anyone like way off the board, you know? Um, so those would be my guys, I guess, at this point.
0: Yeah. Look, uh, I have one and we actually interviewed him in Toronto, but he is in maybe a difficult section of the draw. Alejandro Davidovich Fakina played so oh, yeah, great good in one. Toronto, good making the semifinals, taking out Kaspar playing really, really good tennis. He is in a section of the draw where he might run into Tommy Paul, I think third round. So that would be quite a challenge, but... Uh Davidovich Vakina looks like he's ready to take that next step and he's uh, seated 21st uh so we'll see what he can do here at the US Open. Looking for the perfect urban getaway for your next family vacation? Look no further than Hotel X Toronto, the city's premier urban resort. With its state-of-the-art fitness facility, 10 XTO, and four indoor tennis courts, there is something for everyone in the family. That's not all Hotel X has to offer. With luxurious amenities from the rooftop pool to the award-winning Gurlane Spa, from the 250-seat cinema to the three-level sky bar, there's so much to see and do all under one roof, whether you're visiting Toronto for business or or pleasure hotel x is the perfect perfect choice for families and individuals alike. book your stay today at toronto's only urban resort hotel x toronto experience the extraordinary you mentioned it off the top that i I think the women's field does feel a lot more open as we shift over to our preview of the women's side i suppose what final are you hoping for here or maybe a couple names that you really have your eye on
1: yeah, well, the final I'm hoping for, unfortunately, is going to happen in the quarterfinals, and I'm really yeah ticked off, trying to be polite here, about mm-hmm. them having to face each other potentially so early in the draw. I mean, those two, what a great matchup recently in Cincinnati. And you know, I've got Coco Goff going to the final here. I got her beating Iga again because I think she's just on such a heater right now. You know, she's 11-1 and one this summer on hardcore. She's got a first 500-level title in uh, in D.C., First 1,000-level title in uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, obviously, having Brad Gilbert aboard on her team is is really paying immediate benefits. And and she's going to have the crowd entirely behind her as well. So I think this is the summer of Coco, and uh, I'm picking her to go to the finals and take the title. And, uh, and who might she face there? I mean, Alina Svitolina, to me, has done so well since coming back and progressively getting better. What was it, quarters at Roland Garros? semis at Wimbledon if I got that right is my memory working okay great so why not one step further here she loves playing in New York um but of course you know this is maybe like my ideal final who would I like to see those two against each other Mm -hmm. Svitolina's got a tough draw you know although she is seated again which is nice to see that next to her name 26th uh I think still a much uh you know higher ranked player than that in terms of talent and she's getting there she might have to face Jessica Pegula in the third round. And that would be an absolute blockbuster early on. So, you know, stands to see how it plays out, but I'm going to go with those two for something a little bit different, perhaps.
0: No, well, that's, I, I like the pick and I think this is probably the best opportunity that uh, the U S open has had for an American winner. Probably since, you know, we saw the domination of Serena Williams. I always talk about, can we get another men's champion out of the United States? And I think we have a lot of women's champions coming up quickly. And you look at, as you mentioned, the summer Coco Goff has had, she's been absolutely phenomenal. Jessica Bagula, uh, her best friend and doubles partner has been, I think, equally impressive. We saw what she did in Montreal, getting the title there, getting a huge win over Iga in three sets there as well, and be Coco Goff in a tough three setter actually in Montreal as well. So she had an incredible run at that event. She's seated third and on the bottom half of this draw. I, I think, Arena Sabalenka, she has a really nice draw, and I, I think that's if if she can take advantage of that fact, she looks like she has a pretty cushy path, maybe to to make the semifinals. I know Daria Kasakina could be lurking. Karolina Pliskova has not been playing particularly great tennis. Anzibur may maybe a little bit inconsistent post Wimbledon final that Sabalenka for me I'm almost penciling her into the semifinals if she's playing her best tennis and we've seen her breakthrough earlier in the season finally getting over the slam hump and winning the Australian Open that you have to figure for me she's definitely a top three contender.
1: It's a very difficult uh, bottom quarter of the draw to really wrap your head around because you mentioned Kasakina. She opens against big serving American Alicia Parks. Mm-hmm. That's a tough one. Could then yep. face Sophia Kennan mm-hmm. in the second round. Venus Williams and Donna Vakic are also in that section. And I'm not throwing Venus's name out there as a threat for the tournament. Right. But someone who's proven recently she can still, you know, bring it for a match here and there. So that little quadrant is super juicy. Um, so I've got a question mark next to Sabalenka's name in terms of who she might face in the fourth round, because any of those players I just mentioned could come through to that uh, that place. Yeah. Also, a dark horse for me that I want to mention is uh, Chen Wenjeng, the 23rd mm. seed. And I feel like we've been talking about her for the last year, ever since she beat Bianca in yeah. Toronto last summer. And she's got a nice draw for the first few rounds. She made the third round last year. I spoke with her agent, uh, Mariah Ball, in Toronto, uh, Bianca Andrescu's former agent, actually and he said to me with such confidence when we spoke she is going to be top 10 and she's going to get there sooner than people think wow. and uh and I don't think that's bias on his part I don't think he'd be her age I mean he's a big big guy over at IMG I don't think he'd take on a player like that unless he felt absolutely that that potential was there so I don't know I've got her potentially uh going to well I think the quarters I could see her uh I could see this being a real breakout tournament for her I feel I feel it's been a while that that's been coming and uh and I've got her in my quarterfinal bracket here, actually over Jabur.
0: Nice. Well, look, she took a set off of Ega in Cincinnati actually. After she won a couple of matches, she played that one actually against Venus, lost the first set and turned things around, and pushed Ega in the round of sixteen. So she probably gathered some confidence from there. I-, I love her baseline game. It's it's excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm really intrigued by the top half because Iga and Coco they feel like the outliers and that they're way ahead of the pack right now in the top field in terms of form. I, I know Maria Sacri did make the finals of Washington and she's the eighth seed there. I, yeah, I don't I feel really, that. yeah, I don't really trust, trust her necessarily. She can Same. prove me wrong. Um, Same with
1: like Caroline Garcia, the seventh seed. I've got mm-hmm. zero confidence right now with her either. It just seems like um, you can sort of feel coming in who's got their, their vibe going and who doesn't. And Zachary to me and, and Garcia are two players that, I would not put any money down on those two right now.
0: No, exactly. One one other name I will mention, I mean, the fact that she won Wimbledon, she's still not really getting that much attention is Marquetta Vandrasova. And, I, you know, she's. it's not like she's slumped since Wimbledon. I feel like she's actually played very good tennis after that breakthrough victory. She played round of 16 in Montreal before losing to Coco Gauff. And then in Cincinnati, made the quarterfinals before losing to Iga Swiatek. So she's beating the players she's supposed to beat. And that can be very valuable, especially going into a Grand Slam where I I think she's going to feel a lot more confident and comfortable knowing she's done it before. And she's in a softer section of the draw, I would say, because, as you mentioned, Caroline Garcia is in her quarter. Uh, Ludmilla Samsonova could be dangerous as well. She made uh, the finals in Montreal. So there are a couple players there, Vondersova, Samsonova, who I I wouldn't be stunned to see a, a run from them.
1: How about our Canadians? We've got Layla Annie Fernandez and we've got, <clears throat> excuse me, Rebecca Marino. Uh, Jeannie Bouchard didn't make it out of qualifying. I really wonder what's next for her um, and how much longer she's going to be willing to grind things out in qualifying and, and smaller mm-hmm. tournaments. Uh, Bianca Drescu uh, regrettably, is not in the tournament, had to withdraw with that small stress fracture in her back. That's no surprise. That injury didn't seem like one that would heal up super quick. So we've got Marino. We've got Layla Annie Fernandez. Um by the way Layla Annie Fernandez now on the WTA website it's just Layla Fernandez so I wonder if we're the only two people still calling her Layla Annie uh out there <laughs> in the tennis world
0: Well it's Layla Annie when you google her name though so it's it's kind of interesting uh, And that's what I, she
1: always told us that she still wanted to go by
0: Yeah well we can call her Layla Annie then uh, I I think you know, initially when the draw came out, actually, we were circling a possibility that Layla would play Bianca in the second round if they both won their matches. Uh, that won't happen anymore, of course, with the withdrawal of Bianca and a qualifier taking her spot. Uh, tough first round for Layla against Ekaterina Alexandrova, who is seated. But this match to me feels kind of like a coin flip. And Layla, I think, is trending in the right direction. She got a couple wins in Cleveland, a tennis in the land, and then, of course, her performance in Montreal, the standout win being that victory over Beatrice Haddad Maya in three sets where she's played so phenomenally well. One thing I love about Layla and her chances at the U.S. Open is she feeds off the energy of the crowd so, so well. And especially you look at her first match, potential second match, potential third round match. If she carries on, she's going to have the crowd support in all of those because she's not going to be facing an American.
1: Yeah, and if you think back to her run to the finals here a couple of years ago, and and a little comparison between her and Emma Raducanu, both players have struggled since then, and not surprising they were so young when they made it to that initial grand slam final. But you look at Leila Annie's path to that final that year, that was no fluke. There were a lot mm-hmm. of big-time players she had to beat. So I've still got that belief in her. And if she can get through this first-round match, I think she could go on a little run in that section that has Caroline Garcia as the highest seed.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's well said. Uh, as we wrap up our episode, we uh, should bring up the fact that we have a signed Daniil Medvedev ball up for grabs, uh, celebrating our guest of this week. Simply have to repost this ep- episode to enter And then we will announce a winner of our draw in two weeks time. Uh, I've got
1: that tennis ball in a place of prominence here in my
0: house. I just hope my three kids don't find it and start playing with it in the backyard, you know? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you to that. Okay. Uh, as as we wrap up as well, I just want to mention a couple of retirements quickly. John Isner and Jack Sock are both playing the final tournament of their careers here at the U.S. Open. Seems fitting for both of them. John Isner, of course, outstanding career, a top 20 player, top 10 for uh, such a long period of time. Jack Sock also got inside the top 10, had an impressive career. Won the Wimbledon doubles title alongside uh, Vasek Pospisil uh, back in 2014. Uh, So we'll say goodbye to those two. And 24-year-old Mikhail Emer, I'm hoping he returns. He's facing an 18-month doping suspension. He announced his retirement on Twitter, but uh, maybe he comes back in a couple years.
1: Hey, here I am learning things from you, Ben. I hadn't heard of that one yet. But uh, John Isner to me, just a quick note on John Isner. I saw him in 2008 in Washington, D.C., the first tournament I ever covered And at the time, he was, you know, not as much of a known quantity quite yet. But I was just like, wow, look at this guy. He's huge. What a serve. And uh, you know what? He carved out a pretty decent career for himself based on that one weapon, uh, you know, majorly on that
0: one weapon. So got to give him props for that. Yeah, exactly. Our thanks again to Hotel X, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada. Guys, we'll talk to you next time.